0: Welcome to Young and Adulting, a podcast of the Young Adults Community at Christ Fellowship Church. Our hope is to create a safe place for authentic conversation around the ins and outs of life as we all try to navigate following Jesus in the world we live in today. Thanks for joining us and welcome to the conversation.
1: Well, welcome to another episode of Young and Adulting, the podcast of Christ Fellowship Young Adults. We are so excited you're joining us today. We have it could be the best podcast we've ever released. This is the place you want to be right now. So, uh, my name is Lewis. I'm here with my friend Natalie.
0: Yeah, we're so excited that you guys are joining us. And let me tell you, wherever you're listening from, whatever platform you're on, you are going to want to share this episode because we have a legend with us today.
1: Oh my goodness. He has he's been at Christ Fellowship for 14 years. He's been in ministry for 56 years. He's a pastor, he's a leader, a missionary, a giant in the faith. Everybody give a round of applause to Pastor Don Bray. Thank you so much for joining us, Pastor.
2: Hey, it's really fun to be with you guys. To even be close to young adults is helpful for a guy my age. Come on. <laughs> and so I'm looking forward to our conversation today and hope it's helpful.
0: Oh, um. we love that you're in the room with us. And I want to start with a lightning round. So we want people to get to know you. So I have some quick questions. Are you ready? All right. We're just going to throw you in. How long were you a missionary? Nine years. How many countries have you been to?
2: Well, those nine years was in Papua New Guinea, and then I spent another 26 years in missions, so 35 altogether, Woo. and I've been in 85 countries. Wow, come on.
0: And which one is your favorite?
2: I have many favorites. Only one wife, but many favorites. <laughs> and But I would say probably my favorite country is Papua New Guinea because we live there, we love the people there. Even though they're still living in the rainforest and jungles, they have cell phones, and I get to talk now with 21st century technology to people who are living in the land that time forgot. That's it's awesome amazing. cool.
0: What's the weirdest thing you've eaten overseas?
2: Probably uh, I was spending some time with local people living in the village. And one night we were carried, we were invited out to a bonfire. Some guys had just come back from hunting possums. <laughs> okay. And I'm out. i they, they stuck a stick in the back end of the possum to cook it like a hot dog. And when they got it cooked over the fire, they cut the belly open. And the guy looks at me and says, we're so glad you're with us tonight. I'm giving you the sweet meat."
1: sweet meat.
2: <laughs> and he gave it to me, and I put it in my mouth, and it was neither sweet nor meat. <laughs> I have no idea what it oh actually gosh. was.
0: <laughs> wow. But it came Ooh. out of a
2: possum. Wow. Wow. I'm All right, we're moving on.
0: we got to move on. <laughs> we got to. I can't sit on that too long. What is your favorite football team?
2: It tends to be where I live. So now I like the Dolphins, but at my heart, my deepest level, I'm a Chicago Bear fan.
1: Nice. Mm.
0: And how long have you been married?
2: Uh, oh 57 years.
0: And last speed round question how many kids do you have?
2: We have three that were born to us and three that we took to raise. So we have a family we have six kids and 10 grandkids that's and amazing. Uh, well actually these grandkids are getting married now so it's expanding.
1: Wow that's that's incredible. Now we're gonna I'm gonna ask a question I want the story from this but. Pastor Don, how did you meet and marry your wife?
2: So I grew up in the inner city of Chicago. And one of my buddies went off to Houghton College, which is in in New York State. And he came back at Christmas and he told me he was dating this girl by the name of Joy Failing, who was amazing, but he couldn't get anywhere with her. So that stuck in my head. (laughs) Oh, no. Because... Uh, I knew the family. Her dad was a great Bible teacher that I respected. And so the next year, I went to uh, Marion, to Marion College, okay. which is where Joy Failing lived. Uh-oh. And my buddy was having a blind date with her, so I arranged to be at the boys' dorm when she when she was driven up to, to pick my buddy up and I stuck my head in the window because I wanted to see who this Joy failing was that Rich couldn't get any time with. <laughs> and so, several months later, I was invited to bring a date with my buddy and his fiance to go to Chicago to the Billy Graham crusade, the final Sunday in Soldier's Field. <laughs> and I thought of Joy, I had never actually, other than saying hello, That's the only contact I'd ever had with her. So I called her up, invited her to go with me, and our first date was 18 hours.
1: Wow. Wow.
2: And it was amazing. And at the end of my second date with her, which was a few weeks later, I told the guys in the dorm that I was going to marry her. Wow. Even though she was actually dating somebody else at the time.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Pastor Don, the man, the legend. I love it. It worked out
0: for you.
2: It did. And I I still hope that she doesn't wake up and really realize who she married.
0: (laughs) That's awesome. So that's how you met your wife. But we want to know, how did you meet the Lord? Like, how did you start a relationship with Jesus?
2: So my dad is a pastor and he pastored uh, in the inner city of Chicago. And he and my mom were great people of faith and they really lived what they said um and i wanted i lived at home as a child as if i were a believer but at school i lived an entirely different life mm. and also in the church that i grew up in uh the the kind of storyline was you find jesus you're happy all the time
0: mm.
2: those are the songs we sang well i'd go to an altar and pray and my joy would last somewhere between 8 and 12 hours, because I'd go to high school. Or... Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so as a freshman in college, and by this time I'd become very cynical that I didn't have the capacity to actually have a genuine relationship with Christ. But what I realized as an 18-year-old, that all the other things that I'd tried didn't work. and I developed this deep hunger for God that was battling against the cynicism that I couldn't actually have a relationship with God. Wow. And so one night after, after a, a service, I wouldn't leave. It. There was an invitation. Some of my buddies had gone forward to accept Christ, and I just sat there struggling to figure this out. And uh, another student came up and started chatting with me and I kind of told him what I told you. And he looked at me and said, Don, you're saved by faith, not by feelings. Wow.
1: wow. And that right. was
2: the breakthrough.
0: That's so good.
2: So I got on my knees and I said, according to the scripture, if I confess my sins, you will be faithful and just to forgive my sins and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. And so I'm confessing my sins to you and asking for your forgiveness. And because you're the God of truth and integrity, you have to forgive me. Mm -hmm. And I had no emotional experience. I had no sense of that God had done a work in my life. All I had was the fact that I, this is what the scripture said and I was gonna believe scripture. And for several months I had no assurance at all that I was a child of God all i had was scripture mm-hmm. and i just so what the holy spirit was doing was withholding emotion from me until i really anchored in that i was saved by faith that my relationship with jesus was based on faith not on whether i was having a good day or a bad day wow. in fact what i think after all these years is that i have an emotional hernia when it comes to spiritual things that because of my personality, my extroversion, that I have a tendency to be emotional. And the Lord knows that for me to live the way I need to live and to believe Him like I need to believe Him, it has to truly be by faith,
1: wow. not
2: by my feelings. Wow. And so that's, that's how it all began. It's
0: powerful.
1: That is powerful. Pastor, one time you said that you've, you've lived your entire life with unbroken communion with Jesus. What are a few tips? What have you done to maintain that relationship with Jesus all these years?
2: Well, one of the things that helps is to know that nothing else can meet the needs of my life like Jesus. So I'm pretty familiar. I grew up in the inner city of Chicago. I'm pretty familiar with secular society. Mm -hmm. Um, I actually read the newspaper and watch a little television. And what I know is this is a really broken world.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. And that, so it helps me when the evil one tempts me, because I'm certainly tempted, just like anybody else. But all I have to do is stop and put that temptation in the context of reality and to know that there isn't anything. There isn't anything any woman has. There isn't anything that material things can provide, that can match what Jesus provides for me. Wow. Amen. And so it's, you know, it's kind of a zero sum game. I know that Jesus is, is where it's at. And that, that is, I think that's the bottom line that has helped me to stay faithful. And then my experience with the Lord is really precious.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And um, I've had, I've been connected with Him and we'll talk a little bit later about what it means to, to, to walk with Him. But in walking with Him, He's brought experiences and His presence into my life in such a way that I don't want to be without that. Mm-hmm. Just like I don't want to be without joy, I don't want to be without Jesus either.
1: Come on. Come on. That, that's so good. You said that you, you look around the world so broken. And I know that you jumped out to be a missionary in Papua New Guinea. Was that always your plan? How did you make that decision?
2: This is weird So my folks always loved missionaries, but my dad was a local church pastor and he um, I just saw that over and over and I was interested I Was interested in everything that God was doing and I had some missionaries that came to our church that had told adventure stories which was appealing to me and but in college I was praying. We had a missions conference and I prayed, are you calling me to be a missionary? And the answer was no. So I said, okay, I'll be a pastor that loves the world. Hmm. And um, so then a guy came and spoke at our chapel and said, if you really want to be a pastor of a great church, you have to have the world in your heart. And the best way to get the world in your heart is not a short-term mission strip, but to actually go live and minister overseas, even for a few years. Well, I made fun of that guy, which is psychologically how I drove it into my consciousness. Wow. <laughs> so I'm pastoring in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and the Lord's blessing, the church, and um, God got my attention. And we began to pray about what we should be doing, and we got a very clear conviction that we should consider international service, which was not in my thinking at all. And then the Lord brought this chapel talk that I made fun of to my mind. And so Joy and I fasted and prayed together, and we fasted and prayed separately. And one morning I'm praying by myself, in this decision time and i clearly heard the lord say your next assignment should be overseas so i can get the world in your heart and i so i said lord where and he said what i heard was somewhere like sierra leone west africa or papua new guinea and there's human reasons for both of those Mm -hmm. so then i said lord you know joy loves me And if I go and tell her this is what we should do, she'll probably do it. But she hates camping. Oh, gosh. And both of these are hard places to live in. So you're God. You have to tell her yourself. Okay. So she'll do this in response to you, not Mm -hmm. in response to me. Two days later, she came out and said, in my praying this morning, God said we should do something internationally. And I said, really, where? Where? And she said, someplace like Sierra Leone, West Africa, or Papua New
0: Guinea. Wow. That's amazing.
1: We're not making this up. <laughs> this, this happened.
2: This, uh, you're not, we're not making this up. Now, here's the funny part. My wife still believes that she thought of it first. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, the other day, I'm, we're laughing, and I'm telling you, we have this irreconcilable difference <laughs> in our marriage. <laughs> <laughs> so no one... None of our families. They knew we were in a successful pastorate. Why, all of a sudden, we would want to go overseas. And they couldn't understand why we were doing this. And we said, well, God told us to do that. And that just seemed too big a stretch for city people mm. to want to go to. And the, the mission headquarters that we were working with chose to send us to Papua New Guinea. And... Uh, Incredible. But, but that's how that happened. And the reason I believe, looking backwards, that the Lord told me I sh- should be a pastor, and when I asked, should I be a missionary, is because I throw, if I was going to be a missionary, I would have forgotten about pastoring or only done what was legally required to get appointed. But I want to be a pastor the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. And when I got to New Guinea, this was a brand new fledgling church. The oldest Christians were only six six years old in the faith. Mm-hmm. And none of the missionaries that were there had ever pastored. Mm-hmm. I was the only pastor of the mission team. Wow. So I was given the responsibility of training pastors. Wow! But I could do it because I had a pastor's heart. Mm-hmm. And I'd actually done pastoring.
0: That's incredible. I love what you mentioned about prayer and fasting and how important that was in the decision and hearing God for direction for your life. And at our Church Christ Fellowship, we're actually about to step in to a season of prayer and fasting. And can you just speak to how that's impacted your relationship with Jesus and in times you've needed direction?
2: Um, What's interesting to me is during this time of prayer and fasting, back at the very beginning, is when God spoke to us. But since then we've done a, a fair bit of praying and fasting down through the years. Mm-hmm. But most of those times it's been me learning how to put Christ first in my relationship, but he's saved most of the revelation, the special revelations for me through my ordinary daily devotions, not um. during prayer and fasting. So like we're going to start March 1st. And we're going to do the three days of juice fast that Pastor Todd called us to, and then we'll do the Daniel fast the rest of the time. But my expectation is to draw closer to the Lord. That's great. But my expectation isn't that I'll get some special revelation. Maybe it'll happen. But what I know is in my daily time with the Lord and reading and praying is when he often opens up and shows me the special things that I need to know.
0: I love that. It's amazing. And In your time overseas in Papua New Guinea and all of the other countries, what are some of those miraculous moments you've seen God step into and do the supernatural?
2: Well, I'll start with the personal one first. Um, I grew up in the inner city. I'm not mechanical. I don't know how to build stuff. I once made a bookcase two-shelf two bookcase. And when I got done, because I didn't know anything about bracing, I watched it. It oh looked no. so beautiful. And it, then it just went... <laughs> over sideways. So I'm all excited about going to New Guinea and jungles and pioneers and cannibals and all this stuff, you know, National Geographic. And, and then one night, I realized I'm taking a wife... And an 18-month-old daughter, and all my wife's pregnant, by the way, into the rainforest of New Guinea. And I have no skills for that, for pioneer culture. No skills. And I started to panic. And the Holy Spirit said to me, if you'll go, and actually it still gets emotional to me, Mm.
0: uh,
2: because I'm old, I guess. But he said, if you'll go in obedience to me, and you get stuck with anything that has to do with mechanics or building, I covenant that I will teach you what to do, I'll send someone to teach you what to do, or I'll send someone to do it.
0: Wow.
2: Okay? So we're there about two months, and we'd sent five 50-gallon drums of our personal effects over for to live with. We'd just been living out of a suitcase for many, many months. So I went to my boss and said, now, where we're living is you go to the end of the road and then the end of the track, and then you hike in over about three or four miles, okay? And we're seven miles from the end of the road. End of the road. And I said to my boss, Who's going to go get my stuff? And he looked at me like I was an idiot, so you will, of course. And I said, But we only have a tractor and trailer. And I said, I'm from Chicago, I've never driven a tractor. So he gave me the book, you know, the, the oh, no. tractor manual. That's it. With the only word of advice was don't trust the brakes. Oh, great. <laughs> so to go the hundred miles, took me two days. Wow. Um, And in the second, it's a long story, but we don't have time. This is, um, so in the second day, I'm on a mountain pass. I'm about 12,000 feet above sea level. The road is just about, I don't know, 15 feet wide with a 2,000 foot drop off. And my tractor stops and will not start. Mm. And I get out, and as far as I can see, there's nothing. We're on this mountain. I look way down the valley. There's nothing. There's nobody around. I go to the toolbox, which I'd never thought of, because I had to walk seven miles to get to the tractor. And in it, there's a screwdriver and a pair of pliers, Mm -hmm. channel lock pliers. And I stand in front of this huge diesel engine. And the first thing I thought, "Well, well, maybe the fuel is dirty so I'll clean the spark plugs, and I can't find the spark plugs. So in simple faith, I say, Lord Jesus, reveal the spark plugs to me. Show me where the spark plugs are so I can clean them. There are some prayers God can't answer because diesel engines don't have spark plugs. (laughs) Well, so then I said, well, you said there's no one to teach me. So I'll just start taking this engine apart, and you'll have to show me what to do and how to put it back together. Mm-hmm. Now, the Lord had mercy on me because everything was rusted shut. <laughs> I, well, I didn't have the tools to do that. And then I saw the dust of a, tra- of a car down in the bottom of the valley, and it finally got to where I was. And I stopped it and asked the guy if he could help me and said, what's the problem? And I said, I don't know, it just stopped. It was running fine and then it just stopped he said it might be a fuel issue and I asked by his voice I could tell he was American and um, I said I only have these two tools well he went over all of a sudden the tractor's running and he turned it off and he said this might happen again so let me teach you how to fix it wow wow And then I said, what do you do? He said, well, I'm from Ohio, and I'm a diesel mechanic. And then I said, how long have you been in New Guinea? And he said, I arrived last night. What I learned as this kid missionary, that the father knew where I was. Yeah and he arranged to get a diesel mechanic to keep his promise to me. Wow. So there's other stories.
0: Yeah, that's so special.
2: But that's the beginning one. And it laid a foundation for my life of trusting.
0: Hmm.
2: And then one real quick one, I was building, had to build my own house. It's the only house I built, but it's a two-story duplex. And it's still standing. In fact, checking recently with some friends in New Guinea, I found it still standing, and the widow of one of my close pastor friends, a New Guinean widow of one of my close pastor friends, lives in the house that I built.
0: That's amazing.
2: So that was cool. So I'm finishing it up, and I laid my hand over a rip, big rip saw and cut my thumb off. And it, it went right through it. It's... It's A little bit of skin is holding it, so it's bound, my thumb is bouncing down there. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so I, I, I grab it, stick it back on, run up to the home of our leader, pound it on the door. My New Guinean friend came to the door, and I said, look, and my thumb fell off. Oh, gosh. So we did a May Day call to the government... And they said they'd send a plane to the airstrip. The airstrip is seven miles away. By the time we got there, the plane was ready. It had come and got tired of waiting, was ready to take off. But we stopped it. I got on. The pilot was angry because I'd bit messed up his day. And I asked him to take me to the main town, which is 15 minutes away, by air, where they have the big hospital. And he refused to do that. And he said, I'm taking you to my base, which was a little tiny town that didn't even have a hospital, that only had a clinic. And he dumped me. He flew in, dumped me off, and then took off again. I'm standing in a place I'd never been before. I don't have shoes on. I'm covered in blood.
0: Mm.
2: I walk out to the road and start hitchhiking. So somebody picks me up. I say, I got to go to the hospital. They said, well, we have a clinic. They got me there. To the clinic, and the guy ran in and found out there was a doctor, and so the doctor said to come in to the, come in. And the day before I cut my thumb off, the number one hand surgeon in the South Pacific was assigned to that clinic for six weeks.
0: It's wild.
2: And he looked at me and he said, I'm going to try and experiment on you. I had no idea who this guy was. He's just a doctor. And, the, and I thought, the first thing I thought of was Dr. Mengele from World War II. <laughs> but he put a tourniquet on my arm. This, the, the operating theater looked like out of a cowboy movie. Put my hand over a bucket, poured disinfectant over my hand. And um, then began to go to work. And the experiment was, he attached my thumb, and then I came back six weeks later and he re- and then he did the muscles. And God knew that I could be a missionary without a thumb. <laughs> but he knew that I needed a loving father.
0: Wow.
2: So he, he arranged to have, the number one hand surgeon in the South Pacific. To be there when I cut
1: my thumb off. Is that cool? Wow, <laughs> Pastor Don, yeah. would you would you wave to the camera, w- with your hand? Sure. <laughs> Un- unbelievable guys on YouTube. This is th- that's a miracle. If if you look, you
2: can see, the scar where he reattached the muscle. Wow. And uh, then you can see the scar here where I put it through the saw.
1: Wow. Uh, I have a question. You have incredible stories about the faithfulness of God and seeing the supernatural and your obedience and, and seeing God come through. But so many of us, we don't have stories like that. So the question is, when you were maybe before you saw those miracles, how did you have the faith to believe that God would do that? because faith can be hard to to grasp it can be be hard to trust god how did you get your spirit to a place of obedience where where that can happen
2: um
1: the one thing
2: that as a as a young christian is that i had figured out while i was in college that jesus way was best which i've already told you Mm and so all I did was when we sensed God calling us, I had, I had the courage, I guess you'd say, to say yes to Jesus. Yeah. Even I didn't know what it meant, just to say yes. Mm-hmm. And then when I, found, I began to think, like I just told you, when I began to realize the implications of yes, it scared the daylights out of me. But my dad had a saying is that, blessed is the one... Who swear who swears to his own hurt but doesn't change it's a compilation of a couple of verses in Psalms mm-hmm. blessed is the one who swears to his own hurt and doesn't change and so that so I knew God called us to New Guinea and I said yes so that got me there and then the option was to believe God or or to or to perish I mean that's just wow. that simple yeah believe God or die, I really liked believing God better than (laughs) die. That's right. And so let me give that, I gave you two personal ones in terms of the Lord and me. But we were trying to open up an area in Papua New Guinea that had almost no outside contact. They got one day a year. It was five mountain ranges from where we were, deeper into the mountains and the jungle. It, they were river people practicing cannibals, um, no no access to the gospel. And we, we sent a team down. We, then one of the guys in the Bible college I taught felt a call to there. And he was a great leader and went down. And he... To open this up, where we could get in and out, get people in and out, begin to do things, we needed an airstrip, and so we had no. The only money we had was to buy some shovels and axes, but we needed all the local people to do the work, and so I went down there to meet with these village leaders, and these are really tough tribal warriors,
0: mm-hmm.
2: and. Um, I was no match for them. So we're in this meeting, and they came with wanting exorbitant amount of money, even though there's not a store in the place. But this is what they, and they were demanding it. And they said, either you give us money we didn't have, or we won't do this. And I'm saying, Lord, you know, for us to do the ministry that we need to do that you're calling us to do we have to have access so i need your help Mm. and that they got done with their they got done with their ultimatums and then waited for me to respond to them and i had nothing to say and i just said your word lord says that when we stand before rulers you'll tell us what to say and so i just started with a you know like in a public speech it's nice to be here and Y'all look so good. I mean, you know, just
1: butter them up a little bit. Nothing talk.
2: (laughs) Yep. Because I had nothing to say. And then the Holy Spirit put an image in my head. It was like a vision. And I looked at them and I said, this area is so remote. You are so far away from even the rest of Papua New Guinea. You don't have anything. You don't have a store. You have no way to make money. You have no way to care for your family. You have no way to... You're locked behind a door. And this door has a big padlock on it. The interesting thing is you have the key to this door. And if you will unlock this door, your children will have a future. If you won't unlock this door, Your children will come to you in 10 to 15 years, and they'll say, why did you keep medical care from us? Why did you keep education from us? Why did you keep the ability to earn a living from us? Why did you keep us locked back here? And what will you say to your children then? And one by one, those guys began to change and change, until Mm -hmm. even the the hardest one changed. And those several villages, we providing axes and shovels and wheelbarrows, cleared 2,500 feet of virgin tropical jungle. Until we had one of the finest airstrips in that part of the country. And the area was opened up to them. But that's directly, as I stood in front of them without anything to say, the Holy Spirit gave me all of that instantaneously and with the kind of conviction that even these tough old warriors would respond to
0: it's amazing
1: wow the, the courage to say yes is what paved the way for all of those incredible stories L- looking back in your life pastor don what were some of the most impactful moments that shaped you into the man and pastor and leader that you are today I didn't
2: understand the power of perseverance. I'm an extrovert. I love to start things if they get finished. (laughs) (laughs) Um, That's actually not a recommendation. So our first two years in New Guinea were really difficult. I mean, cut my thumb off, my wife was very ill for a while. And before we left for New Guinea, we had gotten promises from God's word, like Isaiah 55 is our life chapter, where it says, my thoughts are not your thoughts, my thoughts are higher than your thoughts, my mm-hmm. ways higher than your ways. And he goes to say, "I'm going. the mountains and the hills will break into song before you, the thorn trees will become fir trees. And we had promises from God about our ministry in New Guinea. So about two years in, I get an invitation to become the pastor of the only church in the Chicago area that I ever wanted to pastor. It was right by Wheaton College. Okay. And the invitation was, come pastor our church and replace yourself many times over through the students of Wheaton College, whom you can influence and and God can use you to to see them called to missionary service. You guys have suffered a lot. And for me, this was my ticket out of Dodge, mm-hmm. mm. and I came up this. At this time, Joy and I were living, and our kids were living in a, on the side of a mountain. The only expats in the in the we were the we were the only foreigners there. So we had village people around us, but it was just us. And I walked in with the letter from our friend with the invitation and all excited, and Joy looked at me and she said, before we came, did God not give us some promises about our ministry here? I instantly knew this conversation was not going well. (laughs) And I said, yes, she said, has God fulfilled those promises to us? No. And she looked at me and said, Don, you can't even pray about this. Wow. Because God brought us here, God promised us what he would do through us here, and until God does that, it, we will be tempting God if we even pray about it. Mm-hmm. That was a life-changing moment in my life. And so we had to figure out how to tough it out, how to persevere, how to push through, and how to keep being faithful to the calling of God in our lives, even when it was really, really Difficult and challenging.
0: That's amazing. And, and what would you say like, along those lines of perseverance and, and serving God? of For those of us listening who aren't called overseas to be a missionary but want to live this radical life of serving people, um, what would that look like?
2: Well, everybody's story is their own story. Um, other people have great stories, too, that aren't like ours. You guys are actually building your own stories. So the, the key thing is to know that salvation, the work of God in our lives is by faith, not feelings. So our feelings are real, and we need to be honest about them. Mm-hmm. But we have to, you have to know what God's called you to do and be. So if he's called you here to Christ Fellowship, you have to be here and be as productive as you know how to be and trust Him for the... If you're working with young adults in the world today that there's so many of them are messed up, you've got to figure out how to minister to them and figure it out, and it's hard and it's challenging and sometimes it's discouraging, and you've got to believe God through that process. And when you're ready to say, maybe there's some other place where I can be, do something else or be more effective, then you have to hear Joy say, Has God completed in you and has he done through you what you're believing him to do and what you believe he's called you to do? Wow. And if the answer is no, he hasn't, then no matter how you feel, you just have to keep pushing and figure out how to learn what to become so that you can become more effective. And then God will do miracles in your life that look different. You know, I hope you don't cut your thumb off. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) Or... Um, face any cannibals but trying not to but it will be just as real mm-hmm. and just yeah. as just as life-changing and just as emotional as in as the things i'm telling you and i'm really surprised uh, today in some of the emotions i'm feeling as i'm going back and taking you to where i was mm-hmm. but um and god's still working in our lives but there's something about those 1st great experiences with God that set the, te- the, the nature of your life. It's true. Yeah. Anyway.
0: I love that of whatever field we're in, if it's business, if it's a teacher, whatever it is, to, to persevere and lean into what God, God is asking us to do to serve those around yeah. us is powerful.
2: Because we all belong to God. Our vocations are different, but our level of commitment and obedience um, should be the same no matter what wow. no matter what you're doing
1: that's right that, our, our vocations can be different our level of, of obedience has to be the same that is so good closing question Pastor Don from this conversation is there one sentence one piece of advice one story that you would leave with our young adult generation what would it be? simply say yes Mm-hmm.
2: to God's voice in your life. I love that. Simply say yes. What I learned was that when God becomes the manager of your career, He'll do a way better job than you will do for yourself. Because God has a vision for our lives. It's much greater than our own vision. Mm-hmm. And He sees things in us that we cannot see ourselves. And so th- I guess that's the one thing that I just long to see you guys really capture is how intimate Jesus is and how much He longs for us to know Him and know the fullness of His life in us because of the fullness it brings to us. Mm. And so simply say
1: yes. Simply say yes. I'm going to have a bonus question. Oh. Bonus question. What are you most excited about? in our generation, what is God doing? What is getting you excited to still be in ministry and still push forward and believe the best is yet to come?
2: I think because of um, the dysfunction of our culture in general, mm-hmm. that when I look, look at young adults who've grown up, they're, you're not intimidated by the dysfunction of our culture. And there, there is a freedom that you have to focus in on the things that really count for the things of God my culture got caught up in a lot of rules and regulations and all that kind of stuff which I don't see you trapped in those things but I believe that I believe that because of how you have grown up in God and grown up in the culture you have the capacity to connect to it and you have the courage to do it and you there is a freedom within you as people to radically obey Jesus,
1: mm-hmm.
2: and that makes me really excited.
0: It's awesome.
1: Wow! Well, we are we are incredibly excited for everybody to hear this podcast. I think that yes. this is this has been one of the best 45 minutes of we my life. We said it would be legendary. Oh, and we lived up to the hype. Oh yeah. <laughs> That's right. We have to bring you back very soon, Pastor Don. You've been incredible. Thank you so much for joining us today and believing and championing our generation. We're so appreciative of it, and we look to you as a model and a guide. So thank you so much.
2: Thank you. It's been a joy to be with you.
1: Absolutely. And if you have not yet liked and subscribed to this podcast, this is the moment. You need to do this. What happened here was gold and everybody needs to know about it. So go ahead, share this podcast with a friend, a family member, like it, subscribe to it. That really helps us out. It helps us reach more people with incredible content ministry that happens here. And be sure to drop a comment about what your favorite part of today's podcast was. We love you so much. We'll see you next time on Young and Adulting.
0: Thanks for joining us for this episode of Young and Adulting. Don't forget to tune in Thursdays at 7.30 p.m. on our YouTube channel and follow us on Instagram at cf.youngadults. And if there's a topic you'd like to talk about, we want to hear about it. Send us an email or leave a comment with your thoughts. We'll
1: see you next time.